Welcome to Empire Sports Media, New York Giants podcast, Keeping Up with the G-Men. I'm your host, Alexander Wilson, with my two co-hosts, Anthony Rivardo and Christian Morell. Today, we're going to be going over minicamp, Eli Manning, Daniel Jones. Is there a position battle going on there? You know, only maybe Pat Shermer knows that. And I want to start it off with Christian. He has a good quote um, about that. And we're kind of going to dive in into, is there really a battle going on there? Is there a competition? This is the first time Eli's really had a competition or anything to worry about in terms of another player trying to take his job. So, you know, Christian, let, let's let's get it started. All right, so the funny thing about this quote is it was actually on draft night. So it was the first time he ever spoke about Daniel Jones. And he says, it's Eli's job to win football games and keep this kid off the field. Those are the kinds of things you talk about in a quarterback room. Hmm. So from my perspective... It seems like Shermer is pretty open to the idea of letting Jones compete with Eli, despite them obviously letting Eli start this season, um, no, no hold back. Um, he's, the, he's the expected starter. And from what we've seen in minicamp so far and OTAs, I know it's a small sample size and it's, it's really uh, you know, no contact at this point. The, Jones's arm is just, he just looks sharper. I know he's younger and like that obviously holds a lot of value. But he just has more arm strength. He puts more zip on the ball. His touch has been fantastic on the deep ball. Uh, Manning just kind of floats it at times, sailing balls all over the place. I know it really isn't an indication of how he plays in the regular season. Or is it? I don't really know. <laughs> um, but do you think that there is a legitimate you know, position battle happening here? Is it possible that Jones could steal playing time away? Because I know Eli's all, you know, he gets mopey when things don't go his way at this point. He's like, I'm the starter. If, if they're going to pull me, I don't want to play. And I, I get that. It's, it's, a, it's a veteran mentality, especially when you've been starting and his streak and Geno Smith and Ben McAdoo, that whole uh, debacle. At this point, they have to be, you know, they have to honor and respect Eli. Um, but is there a serious battle going on here? Can he steal time away from him? Well, I think the key part of the quote is that it's Eli's job to win football games. If they're losing, there's really no point for him to play. If it's week eight and they're one and seven again, I say you throw in Daniel Jones and you let him get started on the second half of the year. Yeah, I think a lot of it will have to do with the record of the team myself because it seems like Daniel has kind of already been better, but it's not like he's going to get a ton of work with the ones or anything. It it seems like they really are just going to let Eli play until they're eliminated. Right, and you know I feel like, Anthony, your point uh, was a really good one in the sense that if they're losing, why not throw him in? Why not get him started? You know, we talked a little bit last week about Sam Darnold and how the Jets kind of threw him in there into the fire after, you know, um, McGowan went down, um, which made sense. And barring an Eli injury, I don't think Jones will play unless they are really losing so badly that they have, you know, no choice but to give him that experience. Um, but I don't see, in terms of like a position battle, Jones beating Eli based on his performance in practice. 
um, I think that's that's the major question here. Is like like aside from an uh, if the Giants are losing, if Jones looks significantly better than Eli in practice, is there a chance that he actually overtakes him in that spot? I don't think it's possible. I think Shermer is just throwing it out there to kind of create that little bit of competition and make us think about it. But the reality of it is that Jones is not ready and he needs this year of preparation. Um, but it's going to be interesting to see you know, how they develop him. And if, if they give him any time, like in garbage time, even if, if the Giants, like last year when they were blowing out the Redskins, if they, if they come in and say, okay, you know, let's throw Jones in there and see what, he's, what he can do. Is he going to be the number three guy behind Alex Tanney? I mean, Alex Tanney has looked the best out of any of them so far, surprisingly. So you never know. Maybe Alex Tanney becomes the number one. I don't know. <laughs> Very unlikely again. But, you know, um, like what do you guys think his progression is going to be like going forward? Do you think that they, he could get any time early in the season if they're blowing out a team or losing that badly? Well, I don't see them putting any stock into practice play. I think it's really going to be dependent on regular season play. So if if they're far ahead, I don't see why they wouldn't put him in like they did with the Laletta last year. It would only make sense to get him some garbage time reps. And even if they're getting blown out, they, they usually don't do that. They usually don't take the Giants. just seem like they usually don't take Eli out even if they're losing badly. They like to just let him get embarrassed. <laughs> so I don't think they'll take him out, but... I'm all for it. I just think, you know, sometimes the best way to learn is just to trial and error it. So if they just throw him out there, it'll be beneficial for him. I think they're actually hoping for some games that aren't so close. That way they have an excuse to get Jones on the field and they don't look like bad people over it. I know they're so worried about, you know, doing any sort of disservice to Eli, but I think Jones has actually had a really nice... Oh, uh, spring practice so far and like you said with the touch on the deep ball and I, I just think there is a little bit of a different zip that he has compared to Eli right now yeah I mean we've seen some really nice throws he had one uh, I think yesterday to Reggie White Jr. over the top that was gorgeous like right towards the sideline about 35 yards downfield um, and he had two guys in coverage on him I think it was Tony Lippett that was on him and he just put it on a dime it was it was beautiful um, and today in red zone drills, he had two consecutive touchdowns uh, to C.J. Conrad. I want to talk about him in a second. Um, a really interesting player out of Kentucky. But both, both receivers had, had a good day today. And it's kind of funny. If you look at the reports in the, in the media, um, like some reporters are so – they'll be like, oh, Eli sucks. And then the next guy's like, wow, Eli is amazing. It's so weird, the biases between reporters and like what you, can, what you see in the media compared to what you actually see on the field. It's so uh, different. Um, but both both guys look good today. Uh, Jones especially ha- is, is progressing at a level that I'm actually really impressed by. Picking up the offense really quickly, um, it, it's kind of it's kind of amazing to see him progress at this level that this quickly. I think trans the translation from Duke. He's a really smart kid. I mean, he was a walk on at Duke. I think he was going to go to Stanford if he wasn't going if he didn't play football at Duke. So you know th- that's a really important thing to remember that this kid is extremely intelligent. He's going to come in and he's going to learn the offense quickly, and he's going to learn the reads, he's going to learn the progressions, and and the fact that he's playing with better talent is a major idea that we have to value, um, especially considering at 33 drops last year by his receivers, he carried Duke to eight and five record, won a bowl game on a comeback win um, against Temple. Like this kid is legit. Um, despite us, uh, you know, freaking out at on draft night, 
But do you do you think that his progression this far has, has been good? Do you like what you've seen? I know it's only you know no contact uh, mini camp OTAs, but so far I like how he's picking up the offense and you know how he's developing confidence like every single day. Yeah, I've been happy with his uh, progression. He's looked pretty solid. He's only getting better. He started off a little slow, but like you said, uh, his practice today and yesterday, he threw some beautiful deep passes, and also he ripped off a big run on the read option, and that was that excited me because yes. you know seeing a Giants quarterback get mobile. I don't know when we've seen that in the past fifteen years with Eli. I mean, maybe his rookie year. He, he moved a little bit, but, you know, he's been kind of sticking the mud for a while, so it'll be great once uh, Jones gets out there to see him run the read option. Yeah, I'm surprised we haven't heard about that play yet. <laughs> but yeah. Uh, yeah, but what I'm impressed with is that Daniel Jones is uh, getting these deep completions against some actual decent depth because guys like Tony Lippett and Sam Beal would be starting on other teams. I mean, surprisingly, we have a little bit of secondary depth right now, and you know, to be executing these plays when they're not even very open. I mean, I loved the throw to Cody Latimer in the back of the end zone. There was barely any room to work with there, and he got it done. Um, but as far as the mental stuff, I never doubted that. I always knew he was going to be sharp and pick it up quick. And he's actually taken some juice off of those underneath throws. He was kind of a little bit like Davis Webb like that. He was firing some of those a little too hard, so... I'm I'm actually very impressed with his progression. Right, and you know, Anthony, thank you for bringing up that run play because I almost forgot about it. And that was the highlight of the entire uh, practice. <laughs> so, you know, that play alone tells me one thing, and it's that he has that it factor that Eli has in other ways but lacks in mobility. And moving forward, I think that we're going to see how dangerous that play can be. And I want to get a little technical about it and talk about, you know, coverages on, on the defense. If you have, let's say you have Eli Manning standing in the pocket, there is no linebacker that's spying on him. There, no, there's no linebacker sitting in the middle of the field waiting for him to run. They're looking at Saquon Barkley the entire time. If you have a guy like Daniel Jones in that read option play and utilizing that read option play, you'll, you'll force two guys so one extra guy from coverage to actually spy on Daniel Jones. So you'll have to have a guy in the flat, so an inside linebacker in the flat against Saquon, and you'll have to have a Mike linebacker spying on Daniel Jones to make sure he doesn't run. So that takes another guy out of coverage, which actually opens up the field for guys like Sterling Shepard and Golden Tate and Evan Ingram. Like That is the potential that you know that mobility brings to the offense and why I think uh, it's going to be exciting to see how he progresses um, especially when he begins to actually get reps on the, with the first team and like utilize the talent that he has, um, but I, I really like that play. It, it faked out the entire defense, and like you don't expect that, especially with Eli. Like the, the, the defense is so trained now to you know face Eli, and there's there's no running front with Eli. He's not he's not pulling that road that read option. So you know when when we go and face the Redskins, or we go and face Dallas or the Eagles. They're they're not expecting that from from Daniel Jones, and I think that's going to be an amazing thing to utilize. Um, early on in his career it's going to be exciting to see um, but do you guys think that you know he, the Giants should kind of risk that I know that can lead to injuries and stuff but do you think they should like, incorporate that into the game plan well yeah that's the one concern I I watched his film he took a few shots I know he had that broken collarbone this year too so he's just got to be careful he's got to slide and can't take any hits but it, it's just it's great to have the mobility factor because it can just create some big play opportunities maybe not even as a runner but scrambling getting out of the pocket and then firing a pass deep similar to what Mahomes does 
I'm not saying he's on Mahomes' level, but, you know, <laughs> something like that. It would be great to see Daniel Jones do that. So they should definitely encourage him being mobile, and it'll just really open up the playbook, you know, some, uh, what, are, what do they call it, out of uh, off-platform. No, uh, off-platform and off-script, off-script plays. Yeah, and I'm sure they'll run, like, tons of bootlegs with them and move the pocket and things like that. But I would like to see two or three designed runs a game, just for what you were saying, Alex, the way you keep a defense honest with his mobility. Because if you don't if you don't pull it out two or three times a game, uh, a team's, like, defenses probably won't respect it and will probably just accept a couple of them here and there. But I would really like to, you know, command the respect of the defense with it. Right, you know, I think that that's going to be something they have to utilize. I mean, they can't keep him in the pocket like Eli. And I think that's one of the reasons they actually drafted him over Dwayne Haskins. Um, I know Anthony uh, thinks Haskins is, is a better quarterback all around, and I think he might have more arm talent. But mobility-wise, I think Daniel has that second gear oh, that yeah, will, allow, will allow him to run out of the pocket. And, you know, he's not he's he is a pure pocket passer, but I think that's where they have to train him correctly. That's what Shermer's going to have him do. You're, you are a pocket passer unless you absolutely need to run or it's a designed read option run. That is the entire mentality that they, they should be going um, and implementing on Jones because when you see guys like Lamar Jackson, like you, you can't imagine him staying in the league for more than five years at this rate. If he, can't, he can't throw the ball. He's a glorified running back. Yeah, and, not even and, five. <laughs> and that, exactly. That's what I'm saying. You know, Even Michael Vick was, was saying, he was like, oh, you know, Jack Lamar has to has to fix that problem. He has to be able to pass the ball and stay in the pocket because otherwise he's going to get injured. He's going to go down, and they have no one behind him. I mean, Joe Flacco's gone. That they're going to be in some trouble. They're really banking on him making that next developmental jump. And uh, I know he brought them to the playoffs last year, but it, it only lasts so long. And you know we've seen we've seen it with other players, uh, even players that aren't supposed to be running, like Jimmy Garoppolo. He tore his ACL like running out of bounds. Um, you know it happens all the time, especially in the NFL. So, yeah. yeah, and Shermer has said before that, you know, uh, being mobile is an absolute requirement for him. So, you know, maybe we should have seen him passing on Haskins coming. Right. And that makes sense to me. Um, so I want to kind of take this to CJ Conrad, a tight end out of Kentucky. I mentioned him before. Um, I mentioned as well that he caught two consecutive touchdown passes in red zone drills from Daniel Jones. He looked fantastic. One of them was sliding on the ground. Um, this is a player that I'm really, really low-key high on. He is one of my dark horse players because he entered the NFL Combine and actually was not allowed to participate because he they found out he had a heart issue, um, which dropped his stock significantly. A lot of analysts were saying he should be a top a top five, um, like a draft in the top five rounds and in the top seven of tight ends. So that is that is a number that you know stands out to me, and I know top five rounds is pretty vague, but being drafted at all means something, and I think for Con in Conrad's um, scenario, that that heart issue really really hurt his stock. But he is a super talented player that is six four, two hundred forty eight pounds. Um, he can block, he can catch it. He caught thirty passes last year for three hundred eighteen yards and three touchdowns. And you have to remember that the Wildcats had literally no talent. Um, they were stripped. He was basically their, their best weapon. So defense is game planned for that. And because of that, Conrad should be um, better than we expect. He, he's he kind of has like a Gronk size ish uh, frame. Um, I'm not I'm not relating him to him at all, but I think that he can be 
um, a, a good, you know, dual, dual, you know, blocker and ca- pass catcher. So I'm interested to see if they replace Red Ellison with him. If if he shows that he can handle the load, they could cut Ellison and save a few million. Um, it's possible. Do you guys are you guys familiar with Conrad at all? Yeah, I know he's a solid blocker, and that's really what I look at because Evan Engram is, you know, he's a great receiver. So it would be great to have a nice blocker, and we do have Red Ellison, but at this point he's getting old, and I think that they're paying him a little too much. So if C.J. Conrad can be the player and live up his to his potential, then maybe they can cut uh, Red Ellison, use Conrad as their blocking tight end. Well, um, Alex, you mentioned the talent around him in college, and his starting quarterback didn't even lock up the job until midseason this year. So <laughs> that really go. just kind of talks about, uh, you know, the kind of passes he was probably dealing with also. Uh, I didn't think any of those quarterbacks made it easy for him. Um, he's actually listed under 250, so I know he was a good blocker in college, but I kind of want to see it in the NFL before I believe it. And I, I think Ellison's probably here to stay. Uh, he's got a solid 10 pounds on the kid, and he even fills in well when Evan Ingram isn't playing. So I think uh, you know tight end will probably just be a strong position. Right. I mean, that makes sense. I think that Ellison could be expendable just because Scott they signed Scott Simonson into like a really cheap deal <clears throat> and um you know Ellison if they cut him he would save I think 3.25 million which is a good a good amount of money they can go in and, and really address a position that is thin I know you know we want to have a strong uh, base of players at any given position but having Simonson Conrad um, who is unproven but I think has potential and Evan Ingram at the tight end position they might be better off you know saving that money and going out and grabbing a, a linebacker, a veteran linebacker, or somebody to really, you know, f- you know, build a position um, with with some with some talent because there are positions on this team that are heavily lacking, and uh, I think, you know, linebacker and defensive end are one of them. So it's a possibility. I think Conrad could, you know, if he shows enough, it's. I don't think they will cut Allison just because, like you said, he is good at filling in. He's good at catching passes, actually, and he's a fantastic blocker. So getting rid of a guy like that, you ha- you can't really, you know, compensate for that. So I agree with you on that point. But I want to move on to DeAndre Baker and what he's done so far in minicamp to show that he is going to be the number two guy. He has been tremendous so far in man coverage. I know they can't really, you know, get too physical at the line of scrimmage, but... I actually think that makes it harder because he has to simply gauge routes. He has to run routes for the receivers. He he can't press up the line of scrimmage and really hold on to them um, and within the five yards. He's covering like a maniac. He looks fantastic. Sam Beal's been burned deep multiple times. I think he's kind of winning that battle already, um, and that's really exciting to see. Do you guys think that this position is pretty much Baker's to lose at this point? I mean, yeah, he was the first-round pick, and Sam Beal was a compensatory or supplemental third-round pick, so it should be his to lose. And He was a great player in college coming out of Georgia. He had seven interceptions in college, 23 passes defended. He's a really talented playmaker at the cornerback position, so definitely his job to lose. Yeah, I think it's probably destined to be that way. And the funny thing about Beal is he's really talented, but he's also injury-prone. Uh, last year was not his first time dealing with shoulder injuries. So if you have the injury-prone guy, maybe he's better off being the reserve and just having to play when he needs to. 
Right. I think that, that makes the most sense because they also have Corey Ballantyne. And having that depth there is really important, especially if they are losing and decide, okay, you know, Janoris Jenkins is expendable at this point. Let's trade him and see what we can get. I imagine maybe a third-round pick for him later on in the season to a contender would make sense. But ideally, I don't want to trade Jenkins. I think his contract ends after next season. So not 2019, but I think it ends after 2020. Um, and I kind of, I, I really like Jenkins. People, people are harsh on him. And I really, I want to give him the benefit of the doubt because he was never a guy um, to come out and, and create bad atmosphere in the locker room. He kind of just sat quietly in the back, did his thing. Um, and that's where, that's where I, I, I agree that, you know, he should be on this team. Um, but at the same time, you know, if the Giants are losing and they can pick up a third-round value, we've seen what those third-round picks can turn into. You know, they got Oshane Exhibitus this year, and they got B.J. Hill last year. And the building on this youth agenda is really, really important, especially uh, when you're rebuilding a team. Um, but I don't think that, you know, they should just get rid of him at any cost. It has to be the right price if it's, if it's completely necessary. But I do like the mentor um, and the leadership he brings to this team, especially with Ballantyne, Beal, DeAndre Baker, Julian Love, all these guys are so young. I think that he's the perfect guy to help them develop. Yeah, I mean, if they cut him at the end of the year, though, they will save, I think it's $11 million or something. So they could look into doing that. And they've got so much young talent now in their secondary after this year's draft. Julian Love, Sam Beal, Corey Ballantyne, DeAndre Baker. They're pretty loaded there now on young talent. So after he mentors them for about half the year, if they are losing really bad and they get a right price from a contender, I, I would pull the trigger. Yeah, I mean, once you mention the $11 million, 11 million they can save, maybe it does make sense to let them go after one more year. But you do need some veterans on your team to help all these young players. I mean, so many fans complain, oh, you have this old player, you have that one, and... You really need those guys around for the young guys to watch them. And, it, you know, especially guys who are, are good people. I mean, Bethea is going to be so valuable on the back end. Tate is going to be so valuable. And they, they need to help teach these young players. Right. And I think actually one of the under, most underrated things about this, like you said, um, these veterans are going to be so good for them, is that they need to learn how to lose. And we are going to lose this year, guys. There's, there's no question Absolutely. that they're going to be struggling at times. There's going to be hurdles um, and, and troubles on, along the path to success. But there's going to be games where we get blown out. And these young guys don't really know how to lose just yet at the NFL level because it's way more competitive. I mean, I don't want to say it's way more competitive, but you're, you're playing to stay on this team. And when you lose a job at the NFL level, you're, it's your career. You're, that's where your money, that's where your, you know, your paycheck comes from. So these guys are fighting for their lives. And I think that, you know, like we saw with Landon Collins being let go. And I mean, he signed a $14 million contract. And I think actually <laughs> that leads me to another thing, but I'll talk about it in a second. But um, it's, it's really interesting to see how they kind of, let all these pieces that were, you know, had affected the locker room before with Landon Collins and Eli Apple and that whole feud, OBJ, OBJ and, you know, all the things that he did. Um, and, and now it's radio silence. Like, I haven't, I don't think I've seen a period in the Giants um, in the last two years that has been this quiet for this long. Like, nothing bad has happened. There's no antics, no 
no bad comments. Everybody's playing together, and I think that's going to help them so much. This organization is finally in a place to really come together and win together, and and you know establish this this atmosphere and this vibe that's that's positive, and not you know always waiting for the next negative thing to happen. But do you think that's going to really influence them a lot? I think that you know despite OBJ being loved in the locker room, those things were such distractions, and the media ate that stuff up. It, it they they just made it into something it, it, so much more than it should have been at times. And it really, it does affect the players. They are human beings, so we know it affects them. But do you think this is going to be significant, you know, the culture change to the success of this team moving forward? I think Dave Gettleman did a great job resetting the culture, and he did a great job getting the media attention away from certain players. The only problem is how much talent did he sacrifice in order to make his gentleman's club. That's really <laughs> what it is. Right. Yeah, that's the thing. Uh you need good character in your locker room, but you also need a certain baseline of talent. And I'm kind of worried that he's not so much worried about that part of it, the second part. So, you know, only time will tell, but he has really only invested in pure gentlemen, like you said. Yeah, I mean, it's true. It's uh, it's impressive what he's done so far to change the culture and, you know, get rid of the bad seeds. But I think moving forward, we should expect to see him continue to add veteran players like that and players that he knows like I think that's a big reason he asked James Betcher you know what players that you've coached before make the most sense to come in here and teach those young players I don't think Marcus Golden was the was the best signing by any means because he's is three years removed from an actually good season three years and a big injury so you have to see the value there that you know there's no question Golden is going to help Eximenez and, and Lorenzo Carter and B.J. Hale and some of these younger guys develop further. Um, that is a huge part of it. And Antoine Bethea with Jabril Peppers and you know Sean Chandler, some of these younger guys, like they need this this leadership. So I think it's super important um, that they are brought in. And I know the whole Jonathan Stewart thing last year was is is so blown over at this point. But a one year contract for a guy that came in and helped. Saquon Barkley kind of learned the ropes very quickly. I don't think it was a bad deal. There's no cap it from this year. It was a one-year and done deal. People freaked out over it. We were in a re- we were not going to win last year, so it it blows my mind that people actually still bring that up and still think that was a bad move. It was even if even though we didn't play, we who expected him to play over Saquon? Like that was never never the reason. Um, but I want to move on to one of the funnier things that I saw today, and that is that Trent Williams, the left tackle of the Washington Redskins, has decided that he will not play for Washington this year, no matter what. <laughs> um, I, I actually was, was I don't want to say happy, but I don't like Washington as a, as a normal Giants fan. Why weren't you like, happy? I don't, I, don't like, I don't like any NFCs. Yeah, I'm super hyped. So, you know, and you know what the best part is? The best part? You know who their, who their left tackle might be now? Oh, it Eric is. Flowers. It Eric, is. Eric, Eric Flowers. You know, I have been waiting for the moment to see Eric Flowers on another team and a Giants player just mauling him. I have, I, oh, I can't express my happiness right now. Um, <laughs> it is going to be just like to see another team feel our pain, especially an NFC East rival. I wish it was the Eagles, to be honest. But I oh, mean, the, yeah. the, 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 I mean, Washington, that happened to Washington is really funny. It's like wherever Landon Collins goes, like stuff just goes down, like bad locker room stuff, like people are leaving. And I think it was all because of his contract. They just handled his contract so poorly. They just dumped $14 million into Landon Collins. We're like, you know, Trent, we're going to have to cut your salary a little bit. And he was like, well, looks like I'm not playing this year. 
So totally respect it. I love his attitude. I'd love to have him at right tackle for the Giants if he wants to take a nice little veteran-friendly deal. <laughs> Just well, to spite I, him. <laughs> I read that his problem with Washington was how they handled his injury. Oh. Or, or maybe it was a medical condition. I think he had a tumor or something, and they didn't handle it properly. So he's upset with them and has vowed not to play for them because of it. But, yeah, it would be a pipe dream. But, man, how amazing would it be if he somehow ended up with Big Blue on the right side of the line? Oh man, that'd be amazing. Especially, I mean, I like Mike Remmers, but I would drop him in a hot second if we might oh, get Trent Williams. Yeah, Trent Williams is <laughs> leaps and bounds. And Trent might have ruined the trade value there because he flat out said, "I'm not playing for them." So the rest of the league might hold strong and say, "No, we're not giving you anything. Release the man because he said he's not playing for you, and then he can go get another contract." That that would be amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, pretty much. He pulled a nice little Duke Johnson on him. Um, <laughs> Um, okay, so the last thing I want to talk about uh, before we wrap up is Sterling Shepard and Golden Tate and the kind of their dynamic. And I want to get one thing out of the way first. People keep talking about Golden Tate's contract and like, he's going to be so old after four years. He's going to suck. Why did we sign for so long? Just look at his contract details. It's a simple Google search. Like, this is like the easiest thing you could possibly do. And all you have to see is that there is an out in his contract in 2021. And it's a $5 million cap hit, a dead cap hit. So they literally only have to have him for two, for two years, and then they can cut him. Like, it's, it's a really simple deal, and it's really, really well, well done. And I think the value we can bring in the next two years, especially as a veteran teaching these younger guys, um, it's, it, the value there is, is next to none. You, you, can't, you can't really look at this contract and say, hey, this is bad. They've locked him in for way too long. They can cut him after two years. Not a big deal. For Sterling Shepard, they did the same thing. Four years, $41 million. I love Shep. I think he should stay the whole four years. He's one of the best number two guys in the game, and the contracts for receivers are only going to continue to rise, um, especially for guys that are inside and outside receivers, and that's kind of where I want to go with this. Both Shep and Tate, the value they bring isn't just as slot receivers. They have value as a, um, outside as a wideout and a, a slot receiver. So that provides even more value and actually makes them – um, you know, more productive in the passing game because they can make that make them unpredictable. They can move them around the field, um, especially at the line of scrimmage. I think they're going to do that a lot this year. But do you guys think that this duo can actually be really good? I think that the, their health is also a major portion. Both of them stay on the field, um, and that's that's a huge part. Do you think that they're going to be successful this year? Yeah, I think they'll be successful. I think Golden Tate, obviously, he's incredible after the catch, so that's going to be a big help. And touching on their contracts. Sterling Shepard's contract is, I was looking at the details, it is awesome. I mean, if they want to cut him after 2020, they're not going to be paying him much in dead cap, but they signed him for a little bit under what he would have gotten on the open market. It was a great deal. I really like Shep also. I think he provides a whole lot more, um, more, he's a lot more valuable in the slot than he is on the outside, but when he goes outside, he's shown that he can be a great run blocker too. So, when they put him out there, it's not like it's going to be detrimental to the team, though. I would like to see a third guy step up and be a force on the outside. Yeah, that's that's exactly what I want as a force on the outside because you can put Shep and Tate on the outside, but they're going to be pretty predictable. And if they do run the go route, uh, most corners are going to be able to keep up with that because they're mostly taller and faster than the two of them. Uh, so they're going to be playing a lot of inside shade. They're going to take away those in-breaking routes. I think that's going to be really tough if you put Shepard and Tate just on the outside. But 
I've said before, if you get creative with them, you know, you let both of them in the slot at the same time in four wide sets, that would be a lot more effective. But I, I will say with Tate, he's very quarterback friendly because you can throw him a screen pass and he'll pick up 8 to 15 yards most of the time. Um, but I just, I just don't expect uh, corners to really respect both of them. But like I said, it's on Shermer to just scheme it properly and it'll be fine. Right. And, you know, one of the things I actually do want to hit on is uh, what Anthony was talking about in terms of Sterling Shepard's contract. Let's compare him for a second to Jamison Crowder. The Jets is prized possession now, and I cannot believe the ridiculous contract they gave him in comparing it to Shepard's. It's, it's mind-blowing. He never so plays. She, that's exactly right. So he, <laughs> play, he played nine games last year, right? And he started in seven of them. Now, let's look at the, different, the difference in contracts. Sterling's contract... Four years, $41 million. So he's basically averaging $10.25 million per season. You look at Jameson Crowder, he's averaging $9.5 million per season. It's, it's essentially the same. And, and the statistical output is, is ridiculous. Like, nine games last season, and the, game, the, the seasons before that, he, I mean, he had 15 games he played in, but he only started in six of them. Like, the Jets are, once again, blowing my mind at how they can sign someone for so much and, and still get so little value. Uh, like I can't even believe that um, Adam Gase, or uh, like essentially, you know, they said that uh, Adam Gase didn't like the Le'Veon Bell signing. I can I can't even believe that. I would have I would have brought Le'Veon Bell for whatever price he wanted at that point because the Jets need playmakers and they brought in Jameson Crowder as their best option. Adam Humphreys would have been better. Anybody would have been better, honestly. My little sister would have been better than Jameson Crowder. She would have been on the field. Um, <laughs> So that's how I feel about that. But <laughs> um, okay, is there anything else you guys want to add in terms of uh, those two players? Well, we can also look at Adam Humphrey's contract. He signed with the Titans this offseason after leaving the Buccaneers, and he's getting four years, thirty-six million. So that's not too far off of Sterling Shepard's either, and they have pretty similar production. Right, and I think that Sterling Shepard actually offers a little <laughs> bit more in terms of also being able to play on the outside and, and playing in that number one role a bit. Adam Humphreys is strictly a slot guy, and that's where the value I think that we're missing, a lot of people are missing, is that you have a receiver like Sterling and Tate who both can play on the outside and inside, and like that unpredictability really helps Eli Manning, um, especially when they're, when they're doing those uh, you know, forward, uh, those 11 personnel sets. And um, you know, getting in spreading the ball out and allowing Saquon Barkley to get into single coverage, that is that is a really big part. Um, well, that's the t- that's the part I have trouble with because I think they're going to be predictable when they're lined up on the outside. I think you can expect them to break inward at some point, or else they're really just not going to get by an NFL sized corner. But uh, you know, if this is going to be a horizontal offense, like I said with Tate, it's going to be huge to throw him screen passes and make him create from that. You can almost kind of take some of that off of Barkley's load if you want to scale him back a little bit. Right. You know, I, I agree at, at, to a certain degree. I think that's also where Daniel Jones comes into play and, you know, his mobility, um, you know, keeping, keeping the defense honest and keeping somebody else out of coverage. I think Sterling Shepard actually has a decent, uh, like, post route to the, to, the, to the boundary from the outside. I, I remember seeing a few, a few passes like that uh, last year, the nice little back shoulders. That is um, his one... That is his one play that he's really pretty good at downfield. I, I agree with that. Yeah, uh, so I, I'm excited to see you know what they can do. I don't think Shepard's kind of a long ball guy, and neither is Tate. I think 
they're going to use Latimer in that aspect more and Evan Ingram up the seam. We saw Evan Ingram run more seam routes last year than I've ever seen. I was so excited. And this year, I'm even more excited. Like, they can finally use him. As long as he stays healthy, that they, they, Shermer actually used Ingram how he was supposed to be used. Um, and, you know, I talked about it a little bit last week that when OBJ was off the field, Ingram saw his yardage double. His production literally doubled. Like, we're going to see players finally get the ball, and Eli's going to be looking, moving through his progression instead of heaving passes into triple coverage, hoping OBJ comes down with it. Um, I'm super excited about that. Uh, is there anything else you guys want to add? I'm all right. Yeah, I just wanted to, I wanted to touch on what you said about the, the media earlier. Uh, you said that there's a lot of conflicting reports out there, and I would just like to say for the fans, anything that's said directly by the organization can't be too bad, but anything said by a guy that used to cover the Eagles can't be too good either. So <laughs> you also have to kind of uh, you know, see some of it for yourself and understand it probably falls in the middle somewhere. Fair enough, Christian, fair enough. Well, thank you, everybody, for listening. I hope you have a fantastic day. And we'll catch you next week on Keeping Up with the G-Men.